Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019. Yeah, this program will run a little long today. My apologies. I say brevity brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah, we need to do a lot of work today. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and sadly, there is no shortage of really crazy wackerdoodle things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward for consumption (laughs) for the average evangelical, it's like they're not even trying anymore. It's just, it's really become that bad. The... The type of caliber of preacher and teacher that we have is getting to an all-time low as far as scraping the bottom of the barrel, overtly you know, scratching, itching ears, telling people what they want to hear, uh, twisting and mangling God's word, women preaching when God's word forbids them from doing so. And this is the way you know, people who call themselves Christians prefer it. They, they do not want to hear what the Bible really says, which is why they've driven those men who preach the truth out of their churches. That's what happens. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on this installment of Fighting for the Faith. No theme today. My apologies, no theme. I, it, it's kind of a loose confederation of concepts is best way I could put it for this episode, but uh, no real unified theme for this episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to start off with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, we're going to be listening to Ian Clayton. Ian Clayton, as he explains to us that um, that uh, because we are sons of God and God the Son has you know made a galaxy, 
that God wants us to build our own galaxies too, and that and that God, our Heavenly Father, is just going to be thrilled to watch us build our own galaxy. This is like Mormonism on steroids, and uh, and then for good mix, for a good mixture, we'll throw in his. Uh, uh, in from, you know, another part of a video that he did on the importance of God laughing and, and having fun in the kingdom. And we'll note that uh, he twists God's word, uh, Psalm 2-4, the same way that Rick Warren has twisted it. And what we'll do is we'll go into the archives of the Museum of Idolatry and pull out uh, a, sat- a satirical article that I wrote uh, to point out the absurdity of twisting Psalm 2-4 this way. And uh, we call that the Blazing Saddles Bible Study. That will be part of this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, Somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break, probably after the Ian Clayton one. And when we come back, we are going to do a money-grubbing televangelist update with Paula White twisting Ezekiel 37 and the Valley of the Dry Bones. This is a text of Scripture that is commonly twisted in this way or in ways that are very similar We'll note how to properly understand what Ezekiel 37 is really about. It ain't about what Paula White's going to say it's about. Then we'll do uh, a, a New Apostolic Reformation update with uh, Shay On. Uh, twisting Ephesians 2.20 to make it sound like it's uh, promoting the, the concept that, there will, that we always, as the church, need apostles and prophets and, you know, and stuff like that ongoing. And we're going to compare some of the things that he says in this uh, this sermon that uh, we'll listen to a portion of to uh, things that he's written in his recently released book on modern-day apostles, forward by Bill Johnson. But I would like to note here, please don't tell Michael Brown, you know, Dr. Michael Brown, that Shayon has a brand-new book with Bill Johnson, both of them talking about the restoration of apostles. Yeah, don't tell Dr. Michael Brown because, of course, you know, then you become a conspiracy theorist. And, you know, it's not the it's not really the new apostolic reformation. It's just the so-called NAR. So and then in hour number two, I've uh, chosen to review a sermon that I don't know why I've chosen to review it. Maybe because I'm a glutton for punishment. No, there's actual reasons, but. Oh, it's going to be tough hoeing through this one. Uh, we're going to be listening to Real Talk Kim, and the name of the sermon is If I'm a Butterfly, Why Am I Still Crawling? Not making that up. So, that. <laughs> All right. So, so, put your protective gear on tinfoil pyramid hat, bendy straws, duct tape, that all helps. Uh, <laughs> maybe an adult be- beverage. We don't have a problem with that either. Um, and uh, we're going to get right to it. So uh, since we're going to do a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, and take a look at this, the so-called Sonship Doctrine and its you know, mangling, twisting concepts. Let's do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. this. Yes. 
Uh, Robert Tilton, Hubabaconda. We're heading over to YouTube and uh, listening to a fellow by the name of Ian Clayton. And the name of the first video, we're going to sample two of his videos, is uh, How to Build a Galaxy. And in this particular video, we're going to be introduced to a really bizarre uh, doctrine. It's the, the New Apostolic Reformation's doctrine known as Sonship. And this is this thing is making all the rounds in the uh, charismatic and charismatic churches, and and so you know it it doesn't actually work by telling you what the Bible says. No, it just makes extrapolations, kind of using bizarre logic. Now here here's kind of a rule, and that is is that in order for something to be a biblical doctrine, guess what? It has to actually be taught in the Bible. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's here going, no way. That sounds too narrow, Rose, bro. Well, that's kind of the point. You know, Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness, stuff like that, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So in order for a doctrine to be biblical, it has to appear in the Bible. So the, the idea here is, is that uh, the the way you know theologians have talked about this and written about this is that uh, you need a clear passage, and the clearest passage in the Bible will be known as the Cedes Doctrinae, the seat of the doctrine, and and all the other passages that deal with the same topic or teach on the same doctrine then are are collected up and in ordered uh, uh, by order of clearest to the unclearest, unclear you know, are, are governed then by what the clear passages say. And and the idea then is, is that biblical theology regarding, re, re, really requires something to be taught clearly in the Bible. Yeah, I know, this isn't rocket surgery, right? So uh, we're going to start with uh, video number one, Uno, uh, by Ian Clayton on how to build a galaxy. And here's the problem, is that what he's saying... It isn't said in the scripture. This is an extrapolation from his twisted understanding of what it means to be a son of God. Um, and it sounds plausible. It sounds reasonable and stuff. And the reason why is because he's drawing on human experience, but he's not drawing on scripture. Here we go. With the galaxy thing? Yep. Can you? I don't know if you've released the teaching as much, uh, yeah, or, or if it's a future it's, thing. Yeah, it's actually on my website. How right. to build a galaxy. And 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 one of the things that how, uh, how it, do you build a galaxy? Well, it, it comes out of desire. See, your spirit man has a capacity to become who you are in the Father. If I'm in my <laughs> so my spirit man has the capacity to become who I am in the Father. Yeah, um, this is not taught in the Bible. There are no passages that say this. So we're um, theologically off-roading here. Yeah, 
This is uh, you, you don't want to do this. Yeah, this is how you end up in a lot of trouble. Father, then I'm going to be able to do the things my father does. And to me, there's no greater place. Okay, now I'm going to back this up so you can hear his whole thought in context. Because, again, this is the NAR sonship doctrine, uh, emphasizing the father, you know. Things that, how, uh, how do you build a guy? Well, it, it comes out of desire. See, your spirit man has a capacity to become who you are in the father. If I'm in my father, then I'm going to be able to do the things my father does. What? <laughs> really? Where does it say that in Scripture? And to me, there's no greater pleasure than the Father watching you build something that's, that he's built himself and then supervising you while you do it. So um, God the Father has built, you know, galaxies and universes and stuff. And so, you know, like earthly fathers like to do things with their sons, like, you know, build Lego things, you know, think of. Uh, Lord Business and, you know, and the Craggle and stuff. And, and so, you know, because that's what we do, all the father is sitting there going, you know, when I was a wee little lad, you know, I, I, I built, you know, the universe and some galaxies and stuff. And and so, oh, it would make me so proud if you and me, son, could uh, could build a galaxy. And I'm, in fact, I'm going to let you build your own galaxy, son. And I'm just going to supervise and watch. And if, if it looks like your things are going squirrely, you know, I'll keep you on the rails, me lad. Yeah, this is nonsense. This just... <laughs> and I don't even know what kind of accent that was. I just, <clears throat> we'll just call that the pirate dad accent. So, <sighs> we continue. In that experience I had with the person who got at that stage, um, it was the most exhilarating thing to watch the formation of something come out of your inner man, out of desire, out of the RNA of God, being able to build. Out of the RNA. RNA is peace. Peace. That's the Greek word for peace. So, Ian, I just have to ask, how many galaxies have you and the Father built together? You know, you know, I, I'd like to see a few of them. Do you have pictures? and create it in perfection in the image of God. You're going to find in the next number of years the whole information about the stars, what they are, their function, is, is going to begin to come back in the body of Christ again because the church has rejected it because the cult world has taken it, polluted it, filled it with darkness and said, you can't, you can't do that. Is he making the case for astrology? Sounds like he's making the case for astrology to me. Well, actually, God put them in place, and it says that the stars are there to shine in the, in, in the darkness. And why? But to decree the works of the Lord. <laughs> and so we read. And, yeah, the, the creation does. You know, have you read like Romans 1? In fact, let me pull this up here. Uh, Romans, yeah, we'll do this. Romans 1. Yeah, the creation itself screams creator. Um, <clears throat> Romans 1.18, great passage on this topic, by the way. Uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. By the way, God doesn't believe in atheists. Yeah, no, in fact, God's word says that everybody knows that God exists. And so the atheist is just somebody who's overtly obsessed with trying to prove that God doesn't exist. And so they're in their unrighteousness, they're, they're suppressing the truth, but they, they already know that God exists. You don't have to play the atheist game with them. Anyway, for what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. 
namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that men are without excuse. Yeah, so I don't know what he's talking about, but, you know, the stars declaring the wonders of God and the works of God, it's talking about how the creation screams that there's a creator, you know, something like that. At least that's what those passages mean. Rejected all of that. But uh, the whole uh, versus the astrology, astronomy, right. the horoscopes, and all that kind of, kind of junk. But you're not talking about that. You're no, talking about not. something else. But what is it that you're? What what is it that you're saying that that? Yeah. What exactly are you saying? And wh- why should we be listening to you anyway? I mean, when it comes to things regarding God. I dare not speak without a biblical text because I, I, it's just above my pay grade. I know, like, I don't know any of these things about God unless God reveals them to me. And the only place I can go and know that I'm dealing with an actual revelation from God is the Bible. That, um, that we'll have some connection with the stars. We'll have some. I, I, I never quite got what. The, yeah. the results of it. You notice the interviewer, you know, his mind is like frazzled because what he had engaged in, he just basically vomited a word salad there, you know. None, none of his sentences actually meant anything. I, I mean, this is such an in depth subject that I've never really talked on it much so far. Yeah. However, there is. It's too deep. It's unfathomable. A truth about the demonic world knows all about the stars. They know how to trade on them and in them to use them. The demonic world knows how to trade on the stars and in the stars. Yep, don't know what that means. So demons are star traders? To reprogram them to set a course in the heavens through sorcery, through necromancy. The the demons can reprogram the stars? Um... Can stars get computer viruses? I'm I'm a little perplexed here. Through fortune telling that can begin to move stuff out of what it should be originally aligned for. Right. And that's what horoscopes are all about. Um, right, yeah. He, he's not saying anything. Now, we're going to take a look at the next video. <clears throat> next video is titled Kingdom Travel. Uh, we'll just look at the front end of this particular one a little bit more word salad but there's a very fascinating twist of scripture in this one if you want to have your bible open to psalm 2 you can be ready for it but don't worry i'll have it on the screen if you don't have a bible but uh here again is uh, <clears throat> ian clayton and uh, the name of the video kingdom travel mm-hmm. yeah it's, yeah, it's no, fun. no, no, the fun the thing kingdom, is what I, I think... The kingdom's it, fun. It's, yeah, it's it is a, not boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've had a, b- a boring moment in five years. <laughs> what, I, what I really get from, from your stuff is that you have fun in the supernatural. Absolutely. Stuff. It's not like a tour no. and it's not... Absolutely it's not. It's not like a holy... Oh. No, absolutely not. I, to, to me, if, if, if everything was boring and really serious, then the scripture that says God sits in heaven and laughs wouldn't exist. And my my God is a God of fun. He's a... You know, there is another person that I'm aware of historically, recent history, who's um, twisted that exact same passage of Scripture. In fact, his name is Rick Warren. 
And not that long ago, not that long ago, I put something together on the Museum of Idolatry titled <clears throat> The Blazing Saddles Bible Study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, and, and, and here's the reason why, is that, um, let's see here. Yes, it's in honor of this particular um, article written by guest contributor to the Christian Post, Rick Warren. And the name of the article is Learn to Laugh. Let me put this in reader mode. Learn to Laugh by Rick Warren. We'll we'll read part of this together, shall we? Did you know that people who laugh live longer? Oh, it's true. Proverbs 14.30 says, A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. That's from the TLB. I'm assuming that's the living Bible. I don't know. So Rick Warren continues. Humor is an amazing thing. It's a tension dissolver. It's an antidote to anxiety. It's it's just like a tranquilizer. How many tranquilizers have you taken, Rick? Anyway, but without any troublesome side effects. And it's free. You don't even need a prescription. Laughter is life's shock absorber. If you want to have less stress in your life... Learn to laugh at your circumstances. Somehow you must find the fun in the frustrating. Someone once asked President Lincoln how he handled all the stresses of the Civil War. He said, if it hadn't been for laughter, I could not have made it. Now, Many famous comedians grew up in poor neighborhoods with lots of problems, and they coped with their troubles by learning to laugh and making others laugh. Learn So learn to laugh. If you can laugh at it, you can live with it. And besides, if you learn to laugh at your, tr- at your troubles, you'll never run out of anything to laugh at. Life is full of funny situations. Will Rogers once said, I don't know any jokes. I just watch the government and report the facts. Proverbs 17.22 says, being cheerful keeps you healthy. From the GNB. A good news Bible? I don't know. And, and we all need to develop a sense of humor. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and this is the part I'd like you to pay attention to, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 2-4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Yeah, isn't that a great verse? God has a sense of humor. God laughs. Have you ever seen the face of an orangutan? God thought that one up, and that proves he has a sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to be more like God? You need to learn how to laugh. A sense of humor can preserve your sanity. So this this was the article that inspired me to create the Blazing Saddles Bible Study because Rick Warren twisted Psalm 2-4 in exactly the same way we just saw Ian Clayton twisting that. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to the punchline in a moment. Now, so here's how the Blazing Saddle Bible Study reads. In honor of Rick Warren's latest column entitled Learn to Laugh, this was a few years ago, uh, where he claims that Psalm 2-4 teaches us that God has a sense of humor and that we can be more like God if we develop a sense of humor. We've created, that's right, we, we're very good here you know, at creating things. We've created the Blazing Saddles Bible Study. Consider this to be our small contribution to the world of purpose-driven slash seeker-sensitive small group study material. Please note that since Rick Warren likes to take liberties with how he interprets and applies the Bible, well, <laughs> we thought we would... It would only be appropriate for us to do the same. So <clears throat> there's the artwork, the Blazing Saddles Bible Study. 
Yeah, that's right. All right. So step one, have small group particip- uh, participants read Rick Warren's article titled Learn to Laugh. Well, you just took a look at that. All right. Now read this excerpt from Rick Warren's article aloud. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Psalm 2-4. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. Isn't that great? Yeah. So read that part of the article out loud to the whole group. And then ask each member of the group what Psalm 2-4 means to them. Mm-hmm. By the way, this is no technique to figure out what Scripture really teaches, but this is something a lot of people do. Is, by the way, you don't want to do this. It's, the Bible isn't about what it means to you. The question is, what did God mean when he wrote it? And you'll see why that's important in just a minute. So, no, read the passage for them during this part of the exercise. Do not allow them to read the passage for themselves. No, 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 no. Uh, you don't want them to do that, especially in their own Bibles. Otherwise, they, they might get confused by the negative language in the surrounding verses <laughs> in the immediate context. Only focus on the words. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. That's it. Just focus on that. Now, be sure to reinforce and affirm any participants who feel like this verse is telling them to loosen up. Not to take life so seriously. Now, step two, have small group participants watch the campfire being seen from Blazing Saddles and then discuss the questions below. So we'll do a quick sample of the campfire being seen from Blazing Saddles just to kind of set the mood properly here. I think you get the point. Okay. Coming, <laughs> coming back now. <clears throat> so here's here's questions, really. Uh, the Bible says to make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob, Psalm 81.1 from the King James Version. Do you feel joy while laughing at the campfire being seen? Do you feel that Psalm 81.1 could be referring to the noises that you heard in the video clip we watched on YouTube? Why or why not? Mm-hmm. Now, now, note, a little bit of a note. If any participants are uncomfortable laughing at this type of humor, then remind them that Psalm 2-4 says, and it teaches us that God has a sense of humor. So their resistance to humor may be a sign that they are resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Number two. <clears throat> <clears throat> Watch the stretch of logic here. Since God made sex, doesn't it logically follow that he also made flatulence? Ha, ha, ha. See? And then number three, can you think of any other ways that you can make joyful noises to the Lord with your body? And then have each member of the group demonstrate a, a joyful noise with their body and make sure that everyone enjoys a good belly laugh with each demonstration of a joyful noise. And then reiterate the fact that God has a sense of humor and that by participating in this Bible study, each person has learned to be more like God. Isn't it great? I mean, this is my contribution to a seeker-driven, purpose-driven, small group Bible study material, except for there's one major problem. Mm-hmm. And that is, have you read Psalm 2 in context? Psalm 2, 4 in context? Yeah, because let's do that real quick here. Here's my Hebrew Old Testament. Hope you're sitting down. Psalm 2, verse 1. We're applying our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and, yeah, yeah, context. You got it. 
Okay. <clears throat> Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Here's the verse in question. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion and my holy hill. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but Psalm 2-4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. That's not a good belly laugh. That's not a God sitting there going, I've got a really good sense of humor. That's God laughing in derision right before he's about to just unleash his wrath on people who have rebelled against him. Yeah, that's a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, you'll note here that um, the, uh, the, the claim that God has a sense of humor thingy that Ian Clayton just taught. Whoa. That's not at all what the Bible says. Let me back that up just a little bit because Ian Clayton is a lot like Rick Warren in that sense. Absolutely it's not. not like a holy or no, absolutely not. I to to me if 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 everything was boring and really serious, then the scripture that says God sits in heaven and laughs wouldn't exist. And my my God is a God of fun. He's a un, uninhibited, unconstrained person, and with no inhibitions about having fun. And um, apparently his God's idea of fun is pouring out his wrath on his enemies. Yeah. You know, one of my first encounters with a fiery chariot ride and I, and I've shared about some of that stuff, you know, in my room. I mean that afterwards, hilarious. Absolutely. Fiery chariot ride. He's yeah. Elijah got to do that. So is Ian Clayton. He got to ride on a fiery chariot too. And it was just hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> But in the middle of it, like, wow. But to, to me, that, that's fun. Like, I, I really, really enjoy the, um, the friendship relationship that I have with the Father and the things that I'm allowed to do because I'm a son and because I have a part in his kingdom. And, and things like moving, moving outside of the atmosphere of the earth. I mean, I, there's nothing like sitting on a dais of governmental authority as a king and then moving. So not only does he have fun, he... Did you say he sits outside the atmosphere of the earth? That might explain the Dame Bramage. So, anyway, I think you kind of get the point there. This is just a whole lot of nonsense. And uh, if this were really biblical teaching that we're listening to, then, well, we would expect that the doctrines would be found in clear passages of Scripture and that when we, you know, applied simple hermeneutical rules like, you know, context that the, the text would say the things that they're saying, and they're not. The biblical texts don't teach any of this nonsense. This is just straight-up roll-your-own-theology deception here, and it's frightening if you think about it. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Paula White and Shay on our number two Real Talk Kim. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. presents Church Day Select. Thank you for calling Zonda Vindictabort. How can I help you today, sir or ma'am? Ah, so you're having trouble with your copy of the Grimoire of Modern Prayer. That is very unfortunate. Can I please ask for your name first? Ah, your name is Pete Billingham. Well, Mr. Billingham, this is Bob from Connecticut. I would be most pleased to assist you in any way that I can. You are very welcome, sir. Now, what is it about the Grimoire of Modern Prayer that troubles you so? I see. It seems you have opened a black hole in your living room and wish to have it removed. I am dreadfully sorry, but I am not qualified to help in such matters. I will have to transfer you over to my supervisor. Please do not bring my mother into this. I am transferring you now. Hello, and thank you for calling on Detective Board. How can I help you today, sir? I do not know what you mean, sir. My assistant and I are not the same person. I am Jim, Jimmy Jim Jim, Jimmy Jim Jim, from Rancho Cucamonga. I am sorry, sir, but I cannot understand you over the screaming. Did you just say burned in num-nums? Or that your cat was just sucked into the black hole? So very sorry about the little kitty cat. Now, there is something you can try. You can take a piece of pie and throw it into the black hole. I swear to you, it makes complete sense. You see, the black hole is feeding right now, and you need to trick it into thinking that it is full. Be sure not to give it pumpkin. That will only make it more angry. Okay, that didn't work. You have one more chance before we use the emergency destruct procedures. Make yourself a non-fat decaf mocha with no whipped cream, seven pumps of chocolate, and skim milk. I know, why bother? Now, I want you to throw it into the black hole as well.
Well, I guess it didn't work either. Maybe we should have used 2%. Please take calm, sir. You now only have one of two options. Close the book and burn it, or close the book and throw it into the black hole. Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that just because you're a son of God doesn't mean that you get to build a galaxy with your Father in Heaven. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. 
course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, analog, if you would, uh, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you. Truly thank you for your support, because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, we're going to do a money-grubbing televangelist update, so let's do this. Don't want no loving, don't want no kissing, don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame, just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. All the narrow want to be a millionaire, give, give me, me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oot and whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And there's some I can inveigle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Yeah, that's right. Dr. <laughs> Teeth and uh, money, money, money. So we're heading over to uh, Paula White's YouTube channel. And we're going to be listening to a message that she's titled Prophesy to It. And it is a complete narcissistic mangling of the account in Ezekiel 37 of the Valley of the Dry Bones. And I hate to say it, but this is a very, very common twisting of this particular text. And if you would read it in context, remember our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, context, context, context. If you read it in context... Just read up and through verse 11, and the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones is explained to you what it means by none other than God himself who gave the vision to Ezekiel. And it has nothing to do with any dryness that you may be experiencing in your life, metaphorically, allegorically, or anything like that. So let's get to it. Here is Paula White and prophesy to it. Look at Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14 is where you're going to keep studying for a while. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. That starts out good. May the hand of God, which means his power and authority, be upon you. And God carried out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley. Isn't it interesting that that when God's hand is upon you, his power is upon you, that God will still allow you to be set in a valley? What? I never have been set in a valley. I really have no idea what you're talking about, lady. <laughs> what do you mean? So isn't it strange, you know? When when the hand of the Lord's upon you, isn't it weird that he drops you in valleys and stuff? Huh? This is nonsense. You think, man, the hand of the Lord is upon me and he set me on the mountaintop. That's awesome. But sometimes God's hand, you've got to understand there's prophetic purpose for that prison, Joseph. There's prophetic purpose. Joseph's time in prison has nothing to do with the Valley of the Dry Bones. It's not even a cross-reference here. What are you doing? For that barrenness, Hannah. 
There's prophetic purpose for things that we don't understand why we go through sometimes. For that prison, Paul and Silas, there's reasons. And God takes what the enemy, I'm not saying God sent, but God used. God takes what the enemy meant for bad, and he does turn it around for the good. Not for everybody, for those who love. Anybody love God who are the called according to his purpose? I declare that God is doing a turnaround right now in your life in Jesus. God's doing the hokey pokey? You put your right foot in, you put your right foot out, you put your right foot in, then you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. Yeah, apparently God's doing the hokey pokey right now. Sits him down in the midst of the valley and it's full of bones. Notice the music playing behind her. This is also part of the show. It's part of the emotional manipulation going on here. So people have showed up to church and, you know, and so they've got difficult circumstances in their life because I don't know if you've noticed this. This life could really be tough at times. And so they're showing up and a good percentage of the people there are going through stuff. And they think they're hearing from God because, you know, Paula White said that God plunked them down in the middle of a valley of dry bones and stuff. Yeah, that's not what this text is about. Caused me to pass around about them and... There were many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. Notice the word of the Lord. They weren't just dry. They were very dry. I'm in an impossible situation. Wait a minute. One more strike against my child. He goes away for good this time. Yeah. Um, that, see, the, the very dry thing, that has nothing to do with whether or not your child's going to prison if he gets another strike. That's not the dryness being referred to here. I just don't know what she's doing with that. So let's take a look at the text in question, shall we? Uh, Ezekiel 37, we've all heard it, you know, the hip bones connected to the thigh bone and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now hear the word of the Lord. Anyway, Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. They've been dead for a while, right? And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord, you know. Right. And uh, notice the safe answer there. And And then he said to me, Well, prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says Yahweh Elohim to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, so I prophesied as I was commanded and I prophesied and there was a sound and behold, rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and i looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them and then he said to me prophesy to the breath the ruach right and uh, the, the prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says yahweh elohim come from the four winds o breath and breathe on these slains that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and Breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Okay, so far, so good. What's it mean? 
is kind of the question, because this is the vision of the valley of the dry bones. Verse 11 helps us. Verse 11. So then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says Yahweh Elohim, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am Yahweh when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. What is this a prophecy about? The resurrection of the dead. Right. Has this happened yet? No. This will happen when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. That being the case, this is a prophecy regarding the resurrection. The thing coming. The new earth and stuff. You know, God making his dwelling place with man. See the back part of the book of Revelation if you're unclear about the details. But this isn't about... Dryness in your life, your your son going to prison, or you not being able to pay your credit card bills, or you having you know some kind of an ailment, you know, plantar fasciitis and stuff like this. It ain't about that. But see, Paula White, number one, she shouldn't be doing what she yeah, she shouldn't be doing what she's doing right there. No, God's word forbids women to preach, so she's preaching. She shouldn't be. And not only is she preaching, she's twisting up God's word. And boy, she sure does like, you know, let's say she likes the very expensive clothing to wear as part of her wardrobe during her sermons and stuff. Hmm. We continue. This is very dry. Yeah. One more time, I don't pay that bill. I'm going into bankruptcy. This is. Yeah, it's not talking about that either. Very dry. Anybody been in a very dry? I mean, it's not just dry. It's one thing to be dry. It's another thing you're looking like, man, I'm right there on the edge. Very dry. Yeah. It's it's, 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 it's dry as Paula White's church when it comes to having a drought of the word of God. Notice the arid desert-like climate in there. There's the rain of the of the word of God is clearly passing over them and they will not be getting the life-giving rain of God's word properly taught. It's a very dry situation. And so he says, it's very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And that's the question that God's asking you right now. No, 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 God's not asking you or me. Can these bones live? You're looking at something that has the ability to bring forth structure, which means reformation, which is great, greater than revival. Bring forth structure, which is greater than reformation, which is greater than revival. That's word salad right there. That didn't mean nothing. Yeah. It means that literally you're, you're an agent of change. So I know I'm preaching. So I, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Being an agent of change. Okay little while you're standing too but it's like when Isaac was in Genesis chapter 26 remember it was famine in the land yeah and Isaac goes and said should I leave and God says what no don't leave 
Why? Because what he wanted to know is you're sent as an agent of change. So I. So you notice the guy playing the keyboard in the background there. That that's Jonathan from Journey. Like I said, Paula White's ruined Journey for me. Yeah you in a famine and i'm keeping you in that famine not because i want to hurt you not because i'm a mean god not because i'm abusive because there's so much power on the inside of you through my spirit that you are sent in a famine time to be an agent of change so that famine is she talking about sent in a famine time to be an agent of change you know during those dry seasons right gonna change you isaac you're about to change it i don't know who i'm here for but somebody you're there for their money you're not there for them you're there to basically lift dollars out of their wallets and put it into yours and as an agent of change in their family an agent of change in their nation an agent of change and you've got to have a different perception a prophetic perception the knowledge the wisdom of god to begin to understand that god's not trying to hurt you he's a good god he's saying you're not a victim to the famine the, the famine god is saying i'm not a victim to the famine more word salad here <clears throat> mm-hmm even cheese crumbles couldn't make this palatable. Them to who I am in you. And so you're an agent of change. You're about to bring transformation in that situation that looks barren. I'm about to bring trans- transformation in that situation that looks barren. Mm-hmm. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Yeah. It's totally solid as far as structure is concerned. It's sentence structure. Don't mean nothing, though. So he asked him, he says, son of man, what are you going to do? And that's the real question. You're in a valley. It's very dry. There are bones. There's no structure. What are you going to do? No structure. There's bones everywhere, man. It's like a Lego set. When you first get it in the box and you open up the bag, there's no structure. It's just bricks. Okay. Pastor Todd, what are you going to do, BJ? What are you going to do, Nelson? What are you going to do, Doc? You're Felipe, what are you going to do? Because the question is not what God's going to do. He wants to be glorified. He wants to show off. So your, your ungodly, heathen, saved, boo friends, come on, are going to look back and they're going to go. Did she say my boo friends? Okay. Look what the Lord has done in a cynical chaotic culture that we live in look what the lord has done where they think that that god's not moving and people are just playing church god says i have a remnant in the earth i have a people i'm not in trouble they're going to stand back and say look what the lord has done and so he said son of man he said can these bones live he puts it the ball back in his court And he answered, Lord, you know, again, he said, well, then prophesy to these bones, say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So what he's saying to you is you've received the word prophesy to your home, prophesy to your children. No, no, that's not what God said. You know, I read out the interpretation of the vision and it's about the resurrection yeah that weird yeah side to whatever is a dead structure come on a dead bone do you have any dead structures in your life you need to prophesy to them
Thus saith the prophetess Paula White, while twisting up Ezekiel 37. It don't mean nothing. So, yeah, there's a bazillion different ways to twist up Ezekiel 37. But Scripture gives us the interpretation of the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. So, you know, all you need is good reading comprehension, and you know what it actually refers to and means. So, um, yeah, hopefully you found this helpful uh, so that you can protect yourself and others, because this is a famous passage that gets twisted up all the time, and this is the technique that's being used. But now you know what it says, you know what it means. So if you're sitting in church and somebody tells you that you're in a dry situation in your life and you need to prophesy to it, you can prophetically walk out that door and never return to that church because you know you ain't being taught God's word correctly at all. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea. Moving along. Time for a new apostolic reformation update. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky. They're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Alright, so we're heading over to H Rock Church. This is where Shayon, the apostle Shayon, don't tell Michael Brown that he thinks he's an apostle, that Shayon holds court. And we're going to listen to a portion of a message where he's talking about, well, modern day apostles. And he's going to argue that Ephesians 2.20, that the apostle Paul is talking about the need for the church to always have apostles. But during this segment, we're going to be doing a little comparative work with uh, Shayon's most recently published book, Hot Off the Press, literally published this month, titled Modern Day Apostles, where he <clears throat> he and Bill Johnson and others are arguing that apostles have only recently been restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll, you'll note the contradiction along the way. So let's get to it. Here is Shayon. And so we're members of God's household, we're members of his family, having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the... All right, now, just so you know, what he's quoting from there is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20. Let's take a look at it in context. We'll talk about how to properly understand this. And uh, and then work it out with Ephesians 4.11. I'll explain that in a minute. Um, so uh, context, context, context are three rules for sound biblical exegesis. And I'll start at verse 17 so that you can see. So he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father, talking about Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus 
himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A little bit of a note here. You only lay the foundation once. Yeah, I don't know anybody sitting there going, yeah, you know, we did our foundation work on our house, our new garage last week, and we're looking forward to relaying that foundation the week after that. And once we get the superstructure up and running, then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll relay that foundation again. It, does, it doesn't work that way. So talking about the fact that it's the foundation of the apostles and prophets, uh, the apostles being, you know, the 12 apostles plus Paul, uh, that was a good 13, by the way. Uh, how many tribes of Israel were there? 12. How many names? 13. I'm just saying. But anyway, so uh, the apostle Paul is, is included in the mix. And so when you confess in the creeds that you believe in one holy Catholic, Catholic small c, meaning universal, talking about the faith once delivered to the saint, so one holy Catholic and apostolic church, you're confessing that you, um, you know, what is a church that's apostolic? It follows the teaching, the same teaching as the apostles. And the prophets, by the way, referring to uh, the people who are uh, responsible for bringing us the Old Testament. Um, and you'll note, Moses is called a prophet, um, and then the people who uh, who compiled the rest of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the, they were all prophets as well. And so, you know, so the foundation of the apostles and prophets, this is the, what the church is built on, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. You don't lay a foundation multiple times. That's what this text is referring to. Shayon hates this and hates the fact that that's what this means. So he's going to try to find a way to rework it, if you would, and try to make it sound like that's that's silly. But we're going to take a look at his book, his new book on modern-day apostles, forward by Bill Johnson, by the way. But don't tell don't tell Dr. Michael Brown, because it's only the so-called NER. And we'll take a look at uh, some of the implications regarding what he's written in that book as to what he's preaching in this sermon. So coming back then to Shayon, let's continue. Whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you are being built together for the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And there's so much here. I just want to just highlight two things. Number one, you are His dwelling place. You're the church. This building is not the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're to keep our body pure and holy. That's First Corinthians three sixteen. And so you are curious of the glory. Is Colossians one twenty seven. Carriers of the glory. Sounds like a virus. The glory virus. You know, it's up there with Ebola or something. Of glory. This is amazing. You are to bring heaven to earth through the Spirit of God within you. Is Zechariah 4? <laughs> what? I'm supposed to be bringing heaven to earth? Barely get out of bed in the morning. How am I supposed to bring heaven with me? Let me back this up just a few seconds. This is amazing. You are to bring heaven to earth through the Spirit of God within you. It's Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by your might. It's not by your power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And Yeah, not by might, not by power, but my Spirit, says the Lord, does not mean that I have to bring heaven to earth. Taken to bring heaven on earth. But the second thing that he says is that the church is founded upon apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Yeah, no, no, he didn't say founded upon. <laughs> it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You don't lay a foundation twice. 
you, you, you lay it once. And if your foundation, like, goes kaput, then you're, 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 the whole structure is going to come collapsing down. Just saying. It's amazing the interpretation of that. A lot of people who don't believe in apostles and prophets today will say, well, the prophets is referring to the Old Testament, the Bible, and apostles is referring to the New Testament. When you think about it, think about Paul's an apostle. He begins Romans 1 1, says Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called. Yeah, you, you didn't say the word foundation. Isn't it weird that he just like omitted that word? He said founded upon. No, no, no. The, the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. See, yeah, see just, let, just read the text in context and you sit there and go, oh, yeah, I, I get it. Uh-huh. To be an apostle. He knows what an apostle is. And he's traveling with a prophet named Silas at this point. Mm. Began with Barnabas. Now, you're going to note here, it sounds like he's arguing that the church needs apostles ongoing. We'll get to that in a second, but I want you to note that. I mean, this sounds like it's an argument for ongoing apostles. And he's going to go somewhere to try to prove that, which is going to give you the heebie-jeebies if you think about it. But... Uh, let's let's uh, not get too far ahead of ourselves, shall we? And then later, when Barnabas and Paul had their parting of the ways, he picked Solace, another prophet. And then he goes and says and elaborates this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that when Jesus ascended, after he descended, because he had to first descend to take the spoils. Of- okay, so now he's conflating this now with Ephesians 4.11. We'll get there in a minute, but notice he's made the jump, and watch what he does here. And it's important that uh, you know your pastors know Greek, and I'll explain that in a minute because it's going to be very helpful to take a look at the Greek because he's going to put an emphasis on a word that actually doesn't appear in the Greek. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm just saying. But uh, watch what he does. Or destroy the principalities and powers, taking their authority. He ascended and he gave gifts. To the body. Yeah. That's you. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Now notice what the word he's emphasizing there. Some. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Now I'm going to back this up. I want you to hear his thought in context, and then we'll take a look at the Greek on this. To the body. That's you. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry until we come to the fullness and this, the full stature of Jesus Christ until we become a mature man. How many know we're not there yet? We're not mature. We're not full yet of the fullness of Christ. And we haven't come. So notice, we're, we're not full yet. We haven't matured to this point yet. Therefore, his argument, ergo, is we need, we need apostles ongoing to the kind of unity God wants us. Until then, we are always going to need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So the no, no, what he said. Until then, we're always going to need. Let me back this up. Listen again, because this is vital. How many know we're not there yet? We're not mature. We're not full yet of the fullness of Christ. And we haven't come into the kind of unity God wants us. Until then, we are always going to need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So the kind con- now. This is where we're going to do a little bit of work in the Greek, and we're going to take a look at Cheon's brand new, brand spanking, hot off the press, new book about modern-day apostles. We'll even take a look at what Bill Johnson has to say about it. 
Mm-hmm. But don't tell Dr. Michael Brown. Anyway, so Ephesians chapter 4, uh, it would help if I actually typed in the address here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 is the one in question. And uh, let me pull this up to, you know, to be kind of concurrent. And, and so we're going to look at the Greek. I'm going to read this from the Greek. Kai autos edoken. And he gave. Tus. Tus is the definite article, you know, so it's the. And it's plural here. It's a plural accusative. And then men here, you could say, means on the one hand. Uh, and so when you give a list of things, oftentimes in Greek, men will be the first thing in the list. And then the next parts of the list will, ha- will have the, uh, uh, the particle de. And uh, that means and. So, and he gave. Kai autos. He, edoken, gave. Uh, the apostles, men, you could say on the one hand, tus de prophetas and prophets, tus de euangelistas, uh, this is the evangelist, tus de uh, poemas, uh, shepherds, and kai uh, didaskulus, uh, and, uh, and the teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the katartismon, uh, uh, the equipping of the hagioin, the, the saints, uh, in, into the work of ministry. Yeah, that, that's kind of how that works. So we're going to note here, when we just walk through the Greek words, kaiatos edokin, he gave, tus, the, men, you can say on the one hand, apostles, tus, and prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. It doesn't say some. In fact, the ESV does a really good job of pulling this across almost word for word. And the ESV, which is right here in the middle, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Mm -hmm. And so to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, a little bit of a note here. Peter is still teaching the church today. So is Paul. So is John. So is Matthew. Hmm. How are they doing so? Through the living, active word of God that they wrote? Uh Uh-huh. They're still teaching us today. So now, Shayon makes a point that, oh, well, you know, that we we in order to equip the saints, we need apostles ongoing. This is an argument for this is this has had to keep going. Now, a little bit of a note here. You talk to people in the NAR, even Shayon, and they'll note that, um, you know, uh, apostles have only recently been restored. Mm-hmm. Apparently they were lost. Yeah, let, let me kind of prove that to you. So, modern day apostles by Shayon operating in your apostolic office and anointing. That's the name of the book. So, let's take a look at, well, the uh, the forward. Mm-hmm. And in the foreword, we're going to note that in this particular one, we're uh, listening to, who's the fellow who wrote this part? Oh, this is Bill Johnson. Okay, so this is Bill Johnson. Here's what Bill Johnson wrote in the foreword. We are an hour in an hour where God is, and watch the word, restoring 
the apostle in a way that reflects his beauty while avoiding the pitfalls of prior generations. One of the evidences of this rising water level for the miraculous in the church is just a byproduct of the restoration of that gift. So Shayon, on the one hand, is arguing that we're we always you know that it, we the, we need the uh, the apostolic we need apostles ongoing for the equipping of the saints, and yet Bill Johnson, who wrote the forward, is saying they've been restored. They they've been restored in in, in the um, endorsement portion in the front part of the book. Uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans writes, Shayon is my dear friend and a true modern day apostle." No, he's not. There is no one operating in the apostolic anointing that I respect more than Shea. As a student of the modern-day restoration of apostles and prophets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you note here, you know, Jimmy Evans and Bill Johnson are saying that, you know, apostles have been restored. Yet Shayon is arguing that apostles have, you know, that... We need them ongoing in order to equip the saints. Hmm, that's a little weird. Now, here's another one. Mm -hmm. This is directly out of the book itself, Shayon, writing. He says, we can now say we are living in the new apostolic age because God is restoring the truth of that gift and the office of apostles is for today. Restoring. Mm -hmm. So uh, he might claim to be a five-folder, but... How many centuries, how many millennia did the church go without apostles? Yeah, I I just wonder. Uh, Then further into the book, page 29, Shayon writes, even though the latter rain movement has not been universally recognized in the body of Christ. I came out of the latter rain movement, by the way. It's a cult. Uh, I thank God for its leaders. They are pioneers in that they taught that apostles are for today. Unfortunately, it sometimes happens that when God restores a truth, some of his followers can become extreme in the application of that truth. Shayon then on page 30 writes, similarly, let's see here. uh, Sorry, through a move of the Holy Spirit also in the 1940s, I believe that the office of evangelist was restored. You see, not only was, you know, do we lose apostles? Apparently we lost evangelists too. Uh, So there were no, how long were we without these guys? So there were no evangelists, there were no apostles, there were no prophets, you know, and so watch what he does here. So talking about the, you know, how in our times, I mean, God is restoring all of this exciting stuff that somehow got lost, you know, for a long, long, long time. So, so through a move of the Holy Spirit, uh, also the, in the 1940s, I believe the office of evangelist was restored. Besides Billy Graham and Bill Bright during this time pe- period, a lot of healing evangelists came forth. Uh, T.L. Osborne, Morris Cirillo, Morris Cirillo, really. Morris Cirillo. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is just nuts. Now, uh, next page. Uh, Then he also says this. The Jesus People movement began in 1967 prominently, but not exclusively through Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel Church movement, and the office of the teacher was restored. Apparently, we had no teachers in the church. We had no apostles. We had no teachers. We had no evangelists. We had... How was there a church? There was nobody equipped for nothing. And yeah, you can, 
kind of get the idea here. Uh, moving to the next page, 32. Also during the same period, a lot of prophets were coming forth. People such as Cindy Jacobs and Chuck Pierce. Chuck Pierce of Cuckoo Banana Town. Yeah, so because of that, he believes the 1980s uh, prophets were restored. Not making that up. That's in Cheon's book. Uh, same page, just a little farther. Um, so we read, so what period are we in today? Well, Bishop Bill Hammond wrote a book called The Day of the Saints, and he believes that God has restored the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we're now in the Day of the Saints. Apparently, you know, we, we the whole, how, I don't know how long, maybe millennia. We we had none of those things, and so we we, we and so thankfully God's restored all the stuff that we've been missing. Um, and then uh, page thirty nine, Shayon writes: the expression of Christianity has shifted from individual salvation to discipling nations, which includes social transformation to bring about this. God God has restored the office and the gifts of the apostle through apostolic networks. So note, he's arguing on the one hand that we oh the we have to have the ongoing apostles, but then he keeps in his book he talks about restoration, 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 restoration. By the way, what's his definition of an apostle? His definition is listed on that same page. An apostle, according to Cheon, is a Christ-like ambassador with extraordinary authority, called and sent out by Jesus Christ with a specific assignment to align the church to bring heaven's culture to earth and fulfill the mandate to disciple nations. Yeah, so all of that being said, we come back then to Shayon's video, and we note that his argument seems to be for ongoing apostles. Ongoing. But his book is all about restoration, restoration of apostles. So let me back this up just a smidge and see if I, I just want you to hear what he said again, and then we'll keep going forward. That's you. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, until we come to the fullness and this, the full stature of Jesus Christ until we become a mature man. How I many know we're not there yet? We're not mature. We're not full yet of the fullness of Christ. And we haven't come into the kind of unity God wants us. Until then, we are always going to need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So the context of the... Few- until then, we're always. Yet his book is all about restoration. So we haven't always. Mm-hmm. It's It's not talking about the Old Testament. New Testament is talking about gifts. God's given to the church that we will still need until, really, until Jesus Christ comes. It's amazing how in the evangelical church I was privileged to, in April, to be invited. So notice, we always need these until Jesus comes back, but his book talks about them being lost and restored. To a round table. And it was uh, all the mega church pastors, around 20 of them, in Dallas. Oh, you got to hear this. You got to hear who was there. Texas Gateway Church with Robert Morris was hosting it. Church of the Highland, a 50,000 member church, was there. Chris Hodges and uh, Robert Morris are part of the NAR. Uh huh. That's really what's going on. Listen to what he says. Chris Hodges, and the list goes on. I don't want to just name draw, but they're all churches of 20, 30, 50,000 huge. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck am I doing here? I'm not even pastoring, you know? And so, yeah, I'm with them. 
But they know that I lead an apostolic network, and the reason why they invited me was this, is that, and this is the paradigm shift that's going on in the body of Christ. It stunned me, encouraged me. They always describe themselves as a pastor, Ephesians 4.11 pastor. So they call them Pastor Robert or Pastor Chris or Pastor Larry Stockstill. So they're all called pastors, but they would say we have a strong gift of leadership. So that was in the past. But in the past several years, they've come to the realization, I'm not a pastor. I am an apostle. Yeah, Chris Hodges, an apostle. Robert Morris, an apostle. Uh Out of the Ephesians 4.11 offices, I identify more with the apostle, but their church culture, there's no room for them to call themselves an apostle. So how did the church get to this place where we don't believe in apostles anymore or prophets? Now, watch this, because this is going to be his explanation for the continuation of apostles. And wait till you hear where he puts this. Uh Uh-huh. And I want you to consider the implications. And now, this is not the cast on the spiritual on the Assembly of God Church. I love the whole church. But the Assembly of God in 1948 came out with what's called the White Paper out of Springfield, Missouri. They do this every year. Uh, They come out with a white paper affirming their values and what they believe. 99% of it, we would say, yes, absolutely. They affirm that a marriage is between one man and one woman. Things like that, they'll do that. They affirm that life is in the blood and abortion is wrong. So we would agree to all these things. But one of the things that came out in 1948, they came out and said apostles and prophets are not for today. Isn't that stunning? Here's a Pentecostal movement that speaks in tongues and believes in the prophetic. Well, remember in your book, Shay, you argued that, well, apostles have only recently been restored. I mean, prophets in the 1980s were restored. You're quoting an uh, Assemblies of God paper from 1948. I mean, it's, they were just products of their time, apparently, you know. And yet they would come out with that statement. So where did that come from? We have to go all the way back to the Reformation of 1517. Because in that period, Martin Luther was coming against the teachings of indulgence that if you... So apparently it's Martin Luther's fault that we lost the concept of apostles. Yeah, that's kind of what he's arguing, but watch where this goes. Pay money to the church to help build Peter's Cathedral, which is St. Peter's Basilica now. Beautiful building. I've been to, Sue and I took our family to Rome. I was invited to speak, and we took our kids because we wanted to make a little vacation out of it and do some sightseeing. And, and so you see that building was built on indulgence. What's indulgence? Well, if you pay money to the church, either for yourself or for your family members, you could have reduced time in a place called purgatory. Right. Indulgences. Now, we're going we're gonna to point this out, that... Yes, this is what launched, in part, the Protestant Reformation, this idea that Rome was raising money by frightening people into purchasing indulgences in order to get out of a mythical place that isn't even biblical called purgatory. And the Pope was complicit in all of this, and there's a reason why I'm saying that, because I think even Shayon will note that that's not a biblical doctrine 
And so there's a real funky inconsistency that we're going to see here in uh, where he goes next. But I, I just wanted to point that out. So uh, let's keep going. We're not even talking about reduced time in hell. We're talking about reduced time in a place called purgatory, and there's no biblical basis for it. So Martin Luther nailed the nine. Right, no biblical basis for it. Now, in a second, he's going to take a swipe at Sola Scriptura, while at the same time affirming something very frightening. I'll show you this. Five theses on Wittenberg's door. And so salvation is by grace through faith. We don't have to pay money. Mm-hmm. To receive forgiveness. Right. It's freely given. And the Reformation was on. Tremendous good came out of the Reformation, including translating uh, the Latin Bible into common German. And as a result of that, literacy rate rose in Germany. Germany became one of the most educated and one of the most wealthy. And to this day, the education and wealth levels off the charts because of the Reformation going back to 1517. But here's the problem. They swung to the other extreme because, you see, the Pope was called an apostle. Yeah, apparently um, Luther swung to another extreme by denying that the Pope was an apostle. Now, I'd like to point this out. If the Pope were an apostle, and he was an apostle at this time, then... um, wouldn't the whole doctrine of purgatory and indulgences which came from the Pope be legit? You see, Shayon quoted that this is not taught in the Bible when it came to indulgences, but the Pope of Luther's time, he, he flat out, you know, like, took full advantage of this doctrine and affirmed its truthfulness. And he's supposed to be an apostle. Mm-hmm. He was the successor to Peter. He was the it was called apostolic succession, mm-hmm. and he they taught infallibility of the Pope that whatever the Pope spoke was equal to Scripture. And Martin Luther said nonsense. Yeah, the, the, when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, you know, from the chair. Yeah, sola scriptura, only Scripture, and he's not infallible, and we don't hear from God. And he's not the apostle. He is a priest like everyone else. So thus the priesthood of all believers. And we believe that we're all priests. But he threw the baby out with the bathwater to say, there's no prophetic. We have scripture, so we don't need. And, and yet, what do you do with scriptures like John 10, 27? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I know the answer to that question. Jesus said to his disciples, the one who hears you hears me. The one who hears me, hears the one who sent me. Saying to the disciples, yeah, because Jesus didn't write nothing, right? So how do we hear the voice of Christ? Through the apostolic writing found in Scripture. Uh Uh-huh. That's how we hear the voice of Jesus. So notice on the one hand, Shayan is saying, oh, Martin Martin Luther went way too far, man. He's denying that Peter's an apostle and stuff, and sola scriptura and stuff. And, uh, And yet he... Quoted, he said that indulgences and, and purgatory were not biblical. That's a biblical argument. And so, you know, he's really in a conundrum here because there's no logical consistency to his theology except that he wants to argue that we, we, we really do have, a, we have an apostle in the church. He's called the Pope. Yeah, this, this is a mess. This is this is an absolute 
travesty if you think about it. So, uh, yeah, so we've got a problem here. On the one hand, Cheon denies indulgences, but the Pope affirmed him, and he was apostolic. He's supposed to be an apostle. And uh, on the other hand, Martin Luther condemned indulgences and said that's not found in the Bible, and Cheon agrees, yes. And then Cheon argues early on that uh, we need ongoing apostles, and uh, and and yet his book says that we lost evangelists, we lost teachers, we lost apostles, we lost prophets, and they were all just recently restored, like since World War II. So... <laughs> We got a big problem here, and that is, is that this new apostolic reformation, but don't tell Michael Brown that it exists. He, do, he doesn't think it really is a thing. But this new apostolic reformation is a hot, inconsistent mess, absolute mess, because it's not taught in Scripture. It twists Scripture, and Shayon, I mean, I am not kidding. I, I When I read his book, and I just finished it like a day ago, I was on the ground laughing. It is some of the most pathetic argumentation I've ever read in my life as far as, you know, a crack at teaching what the Scripture says. He doesn't teach it at all. And what you saw as far as the inconsistency of his theology and his doctrine, it's it's like that on steroids in his book. But then again, don't tell Dr. Michael Brown about Shayon's new book about modern apostles and that Bill Johnson wrote the forward. No, 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 no. Because then he'll accuse you of being a conspiracy theorist stuff. So, mm-hmm. all right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian Quick Break, when we come back, sermon review of Real Talk Kim and her message titled, If I'm a Butterfly, Why Am I Still Crawling? We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Oi! 
Sorry, Captain. We got ourselves a heretic. <laughs> and exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two, fighting for the faith. I am a glutton for punishment. Why did I decide to review this sermon? I'm having sermonic regret. <laughs> Let's do this right, though. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon is brought to you by the youtube channel of real talk kim and her message titled if i'm a butterfly why am i still crawling if i could take a crack at the question i think the answer is because you're not a butterfly I don't even know how to tell you all the different ways in which this thing's going to go off the rails. It's probably just best to note that um, there are few, if any, moments in the sermon when it is even on the rails. That That's just an easier way to describe it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Real Talk Kim. If I'm a butterfly, why am I still crawling? Here we go. Y'all get free. You can't, you go, you're going to be getting on people's nerves too. They're going to be like, slow down. I was on Facebook live the other night. And somebody said, man, you sure do inspire me, but man, you make me nervous. <laughs> so today I'm not going to really scream at y'all like I normally do. I'm going to be all grown and stuff up here. <laughs> Look at your neighbor right now. Yeah. Uh, women aren't allowed to preach sermons. God forbids it in scripture. Don't stop what God is about to do in me. Tell your other name, don't you stop. What God is about to do in me. Some of your spouses are like, get her, Jesus. 
<laughs> I just helped some of your marriages. Y'all ain't talked all week long. No, you didn't help anybody's marriage. And you just looked, you, I made you because you had to be obedient. <laughs> Don't stop what God's about to do in my life. And they're like, hey, thank you, Jesus. Get them. Today, my sermon title is what are we becoming? What are we becoming? What are you ever ask yourself that? Have you ever gotten to that place where you get to uh, believe in that? God, I don't know why I'm here, but I know that I'm about to get up from here. You ever been to that place? That's really the only time anything changes in your life is when you finally do it on purpose. When you finally get intentional and you begin to say, I am off of this struggle bus. I'm not going to stay on this struggle bus. I'm not going to keep having to check my checkbook before I go to the grocery store. I'm about to take some inventory of the things around me. So Christianity is all about making it so you are no longer on the struggle bus. Okay. And my peace, my joy, my finances. I'm, 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 I'm breaking up with you. I'm putting you up in the balcony and I'm going to love you from up there. But you ain't stealing my peace no more. Some of y'all need to give all that mess back that those people left in your past. Give it back to them. Break up with it and get moving. Get- yeah, notice she's not preaching uh, repentance. Confessing your sins and being forgiven by Jesus Christ and his shed blood for us on the cross. Bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. I don't know what this is. This is more like American folk religion here. Moving. Ain't nothing going to just land in your lap. God is waiting on you to participate in life. He is. Where does it say that in the Bible? Some of y'all just went through some stuff this year, man. You feel like you can't even hardly get up. Anybody understand what I'm saying? You feel like you can't get up. Well, I'm about to help you realize I've, I've been researching a lot about growth. And, and you, you have. Okay. I have a, a, a lot of people that reach out to me and say, I feel stuck. I feel uh, alone. I feel I've been talking to God and he ain't talking back. And so I, I, I feel like Kim that I need some answers. And so I've been reading to give y'all some encouragement today. You ready for some encouragement? Encouragement on why you've been where you've been. Encouragement on why you've been where you've been. I researched the bamboo plant. No, really. I mean, I just dumbstruck you. This, that's amazing. And as I was skimming through articles on it, researching, and I, and I always have heard uh, how the bamboo plant is got all this uh, strength behind it. It's like, it's like a lot of people use this to inspire. And so I was skimming through about a Chinese bamboo plant. And apparently once the seed has been sown, you see nothing for about five years. No, five full years. Apart from a tiny shoot. All of the growth takes place underground where a complex root system reaching upward and outward is being established. Then at the end of the fifth year, the bamboo suddenly shoots up to a height of 25 meters. What a tedious subject. What some of y'all are about. Please open to second bamboos chapter four. Bamboo plant. You don't realize it. But you've been growing, honey, some roots. Yeah, so you, you, because she'd been reading about bamboo plants, you be a bamboo plant. Now, 
Systems down underneath. You've been you've been like that palm tree situation where you have been through some things and made it through. And some of you just that palm tree situation, right? Need to high five yourself right now because baby, you made it through. You are you are still anointed. You you still you lost that marriage, but you still are anointed. You lost that business, but you're- you you lost that marriage, but don't worry, you're still an anointed one. Yeah, that would make you a false anointed one. Uh, makes you a false Christ. Anointed. My scripture today is Ephesians. Some of you just need to tell yourself, I'm still anointed. I'm still called. Yeah, I'm, you you do that. Yeah. Still chosen. I might my, I might be like Apostle Paul, and I might have done everything they said I did. I might have been a ratchet mess, but now I'm going to righteousness level. What? I'm going from ratchet to righteousness just like that. I'm about to claim everything the devil has stolen and even the things that I've given him. I put up a... You can have a rummage sale. Yay. Ma'am, this week on my Instagram, and I said, the devil's going to get some of you for for character defamation. Some of y'all keep blaming him for stuff you're doing. You keep giving the devil all the credit when you're doing it yourself, boo, because you know why? You've grown. You don't like what you're getting. Stop sowing what you're sowing and begin to pay attention. And so today we're going to talk about that, uh, paying attention to why we're where we're at and stop living with our head in the ground under the dirt and begin to open our spiritual eyes to what he's doing. Because I'm telling you something, in the next 24 hours, God is about to awaken some things on the inside of you that has literally kept you stuck your whole life. And you're going to realize that... Really? God's going to do that in the next 24 hours? Well, that's helpful. Yeah, I've been waiting for a while. You are a generational breaker. You're breaking some curses off your family because you are sick and tired of being broke. You're sick and tired of being sad. You're sick and tired of being depressed. Which text are you preaching on again, uh, Real Talk there? Uh, Because this just is nonsense spewing from your mouth. God didn't promise none of this stuff. To break up with it and be the generational changer for your family. You're about to go from peace to pieces. You're going from pieces to peace. P-I-E-C-E-S to P-E-A-C-E. What? What? Ephesians 4, 2 through 6. Ephesians 4, 2 through 6. What are we becoming is my title. And I want the whole service for you to be asking your insides, what am I becoming? And do I like where I'm going? Because if you don't like where you're going, God allows you turns. Okay. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That means you got the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living on the inside of you. That's why whenever you sit over here complaining, that's why you're remaining. Because you ain't realizing, tapped into it, honey. 
And just like Apostle Paul, God can shift you from, from a, he was Saul in his bad season when he was Christian killing and all that other stuff. And God shifted him into a new, even a new name and a new identity. That's why some of you need to realize that you've been over here in a place where God has put you in isolation because where he's about to take you, you ain't qualified for it yet. But he's. Uh huh. Yeah, that's not what Ephesians 4 is about at all. How how do you figure that's in there? About to show out, honey. That's the reason why you've been over here in this lonely season and feeling like you all by yourself is because God is about to flip them lights on in your life. And when he does, he don't want nobody else to get the glory for your story but him. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's not what Ephesians 4 said. Let me, let me take a look at that text again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he descended into the lower regions in the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he's the one who gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Yeah, none of the things she's saying are actually part of that text or even something even implied or inferred in that text. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good, honey. Your, your ending is stop being stuck on chapter 13 when you got another 14 chapters left and begin to do the fast forward. Begin to fast forward, fast forward. See, we don't like to wait on nothing. We are a generation of, of microwave Christians. Every new year, I decide that I am going to go to the gym. And I tell my husband, baby, get me that gym membership because I'm about to be snatched. I walk up into that gym the first day. I start doing because I want one of them, you know, behinds that you can put cough cup on. I got to paint a picture for y'all. Okay, I don't want no white girl. I'm sorry, but I really am not liking this picture that you're painting. It's really messing up my head. Booty no more. I'm a, I get in there and I'm like this. I'm starting to do it. And I'm feeling that. I got this thing. I got my, my music going and I'm like, I feel it. I can already see myself snatched. Then all of a sudden I get to about, look, I'm burning right now. All of a sudden my thighs start burning and they start shaking. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't hate myself that bad. <laughs> because we don't want to go through the process. In my whole gym membership, I think I've been one time this whole year. <laughs> <sighs> I'm going to do better next year. Oh, Kurt. First Peter 1 and 7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold 
that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Some of y'all been in the fire. He's been refining you this year. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you stop being negative about where you're at right now and begin to praise God in the pit, baby. You're in the pit, but you ain't drowning. You're in the pit, it's dry. And to begin to open your mouth and begin to praise him for that season. We all want the final product, but we don't want the process. We want... What on earth does this have to do with Christianity? This sounds like a pagan motivational self-help speech to me. We want the final product, but we don't want the product. We don't want to climb. You know, I've, I've been looking at when me and Mark have done nothing but eat this week. I mean, I've, I've already got one back boob back and the other one's probably on its way because we've been. Yeah, I really don't want to hear about your um, those those things in your back that you talk about there. Wow. Women and Alfredo sauce, the Olive Garden. We've been OK, baby, we've been. And, I, and I, 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 I watched this week. As I would walk in these restaurants and all these restaurants said, we are hiring, hiring, we are hiring. And, and I'm, I'm hearing people say, I can't get no job because see, the problem is we don't want to stop at the bottom, start at the bottom to get to where we're going. See, this is your testimony down here when you're waiting on tables and dropping drinks because you ain't got no balance with that tray. But this right here is what's getting the oil on you. This, this right here is. You notice the Hammond organ in the, pa- in the background that's supposedly like really part of the emotional manipulation. All this is, is a lot of hype. This is like sizzle in a pan. With no bacon. Yeah, this is a mess. It's getting the... Oh, Lord, that's a good word. No, it's not. But we don't want to start down here to get up here. We, we don't want to start right here. We don't want to wait on tables. We're too good for that. We would rather sit and complain and beg people for money than go do what God's... Can God trust you? You know, I, no, which is why Jesus had to bleed and die for me. I worked at Chick-fil-A, Applebee's. I was the waitress that would drop all the drinks on you. <laughs> I got fired from Chick-fil-A. I did. But I didn't mind working. Yeah, they should fire you because you're not qualified to be a pastor, nor women be allowed to be pastors. Wow. Because you're over here praying for God. You go, oh, you got to see the vision. You're over here waiting. You're, you're praying for God to give you a better job. And you're going to the one you hate 15 minutes late and leaving 15 minutes early. And God is over here saying, if I can't trust you with a little, how can I trust you with much? Because what's going to happen when I give you all this and you over here can't even take care of the little bit that I've given you? See, God- yeah, so don't get fired from Chick-fil-A or you'll never be a head pastrix like <clears throat> Real Talk Kim sees that heart of yours and he sees the integrity that you're walking in and only you can get that thing straight if he can trust you at applebee's he gonna let you own your own store he gonna give you your own business this is just a season you ain't staying in this season this is your applebee season this is your bloomingdale season this is your cvs season this is your walgreens season oh this is your lonely season but you, oh this is your big lot season but you're about to have a big lot miracle because this is my applebee's big lot season and i'm gonna have a miracle god hasn't promised any of this She's scratching itching ears, telling him what they want to hear, 
not what God has revealed in his word. And this definitely has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with what is written in Ephesians 4. Your faithfulness. Preach it, ain't it? You're about to have that big lot miracle, baby. Oh, yeah, she's manipulating the people in her audience. It sounds like majority female, too. I remember five years ago when I worked at Bloomingdale's and I was complaining for a whole hour going to work. Oh, I hate Bloomingdale's. I got to go put the lipsticks up and get the panties out of the box. And I've got to... And God kept saying, and you ain't leaving either until you get your heart right. Because if I can't trust you at Bloomingdale's for $9 an hour, how can I trust you with the world? How can I trust you with writing books? How can I trust you? How can I... Yeah, and God hasn't trusted you with writing books. God hasn't trusted you with the world. Wow. Talk about theology of self-glory. This woman's self-glory is off the chain. Trust you if all you're doing is complaining at the bottom, honey. Because the bottom's where you're getting that drippage. Can God trust your character? It's a theology, a works-based theology now. As I was praying last night, talking to God, man, I've been, I've been asking, I've been praying and Seeking God for the latter part of this year. I took the whole month of December off. Actually, God put me in the bed. <laughs> he made me take the time off. Because that's what he'll do sometimes when he wants to talk to you. He'll start shutting your whole world down. He'll let that best friend walk out on you and betray you. Because he said, I need some time with you. And so he, I even got sick as a dog the beginning of the year. I mean, the beginning of December. And I was in bed for like nine days. Had to cancel two of my events. And man, I ain't never been that sick in my life. And right when I, when I started feeling the symptoms of getting sick, um, I went straight to the doctor. And I let them give me a steroid shot in my tail. And then I got a zip pack, a Z pack and some amoxicillin. And I went home. I went home. And I, I got into bed. And usually that thing goes right away. But this time... I was in bed for nine days, and God said, I want to talk to you. I'm going to lay your... T uh, so God lets you get sick so that he can spend some time with you talking to you. See, she hears directly from God, folks, because she's been through her Bloomingdale season. Down because I want to talk to you. And so I was laying in that bed and I was asking God, I was like, God was starting to show me some signs of why sickness goes on and it just cleanses you when you get finally get worn out and it cleanses you. But he said, here's the problem with the body of Christ. We go walking around, not dealing with rejection, not dealing with, with, with a betrayal, not dealing with that unforgiveness, not dealing with that hate in your heart, not dealing with that jealousy, not dealing with. So how does one go about dealing with those things? Greed, not dealing with all of these, not dealing with that pride. And so what's happening is we are just, we're just going about and we're, and we're not taking care of it. And infection is starting. See, if you don't go get to the. Yeah, so God told you that. Huh? Okay. Doctors get some things checked out. Then you just keep repeating. My mama's been sick. I've been sick. Pastor Mark's been sick. My brother's been sick. All Israel, my son's been sick. We just passing it. You see what I'm saying? We're passing the infection. We're passing. And I was the only one that went to the doctor out of any, all of them. But they were passing the infection, passing the infection. Pa Me and Pastor Mark finally said, we don't even care if there's another family event. In fact, I went and bought her food the other day when she was sick and I did this to her. I laid it on the trash can. <laughs> I was like, go get your food, mama, because I, I, ain't, I ain't passing the infection anymore. 
And so what's happening in the body of Christ, we're not taking care of the sickness and instead we're walking <laughs> and it's infection and it's, it's brewing and all of that stuff is beginning to get contagious. And what's happening is that's really God, God told you that. Okay. Wow. Same way in your spiritual walk, if you don't take care of some stuff, you are passing the infection from one person to another. You got to take care of this flu symptom. You got to take care of the spiritual default that's going on on the inside. Have you been taking care of the flu symptom and the spiritual default that's been going on? Out of you, what are you becoming? I don't know. Bitter. Ugh. Broken. Yeah. Running every man off with your mouth. Because the last one hurts you. Being a narcissist to your wife, because that's all the, the only way you saw your daddy do. Infection being passed from bloodline to bloodline from bloodline. Sounds like sin, and we all got that passed to us from Adam and Eve. Yeah, Scripture is actually quite clear about the fact that that uh, Adam is the one who made it so that we all became sinners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been passed down all the way from uh, Adam and Eve and their sin in the Garden of Eden. From bloodline to addiction to drinking, alcohol, all of us just passing it, passing it, passing it. Because we're not taking care of the infection before it gets deep-rooted. So some of you are going to... Yeah, um, the infection is totally deep-rooted. Yes, Scripture makes this very clear that, uh, that we are by nature objects of God's wrath uh, because of you know, of original sin. Uh-huh. You know, through the one man, Adam, the many were made to be sinners, Scripture says. So what she's saying, you know, totally is ignorant of what Scripture teaches regarding original sin and our state, our sinful state in the plight that we find ourselves in. Ephesians uh, 2 makes it very clear that we are born dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. That's how deep the infection is. We, we, you know, we're, we're born dead. Counselor, when you need, you come to my church, you, you should have been done fired, Bertha. You've been paying her $185 a month and she, you still broke. Because the fact of the matter is, you got to take care of the root yourself. Walking around on Ambien and Xanax because we are too prideful to let go of a crime that was committed against us. And now we're walking around with deep-rooted rejection and bitterness. And we're, we're infecting everybody around us. Most of us have seen time lapse. A photography of a lowly caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The footage usually starts with a ponderous little worm. Inching its way along a leaf that, is, that it devours. It looks silly and awkward as it labors to cover short distances. When it gets to about two inches in length, this caterpillar takes a break from stuffing itself, finds a protective branch, and rigs up a silk thread by which it fastens its tail to that branch. Once secured, this little caterpillar begins to contort its body Gyrating in curious ways. At first, it's unclear what is happening. So, so apparently she found the Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> she found Wikipedia's information about caterpillars. And, and she's uh, exegeting that uh, uh, during the sermon here. Then suddenly, 
The caterpillar's outer skin of this worm seems to unzip, revealing a green chrysalis within. Minutes later, the molting is done and the green pod that is left becomes motionless for 14 days. Nothing seems to be happening for a while. But then on about day 12... So apparently this is you and me. We are in our chrysalis stage. The walls of the greenish cocoon become transparent. He got a good God. He even cares about the caterpillars and lets it go through a process become one of the most beautiful insects on the planet. For the first time, we can see that something dramatic has happened inside. But it's not until a day or two later that the full story is told. All at once, the little creature within begins to struggle and push until finally the shell of its miniature incubator cracks open. Pushing itself out of the impossibly small pod where come, there comes a monarch butterfly. Wet, trembling, and dark. It takes a few minutes to unfold itself, opening its collapsed wings for the first time. It forces them outward to their full capacity, spreading patterns of beautiful color and symmetry on this new canvas. And then this earthbound caterpillar seizes the wind and lifts off, delicately managing the currents like a poem set in motion. It is one of the wonders of God. Isn't it amazing how you look at that caterpillar? And this is a position that some of you have felt like you've been in forever. That caterpillar feels lonely and just inch by inch. It just. How, how do you know the caterpillar feels lonely? so slow it don't get anywhere very fast and it just is lonely in that dark place but look at God look what God does it took 14 day break now this has been like 14 years for some of you but God's been doing something in your life for the last 14 years and you start getting a little bit of leverage and you come out of that season of being still and alone and broken. And then all of a sudden you think you're about to get your wings and you start pushing a little bit and you start deciding I might not can fly yet, but I refuse to crawl. I, I, I know there's something great on the inside of me. See, that's what God is doing in your life. And the most beautiful thing about... How do you know that that's what God's doing in their lives? What about the people who'll be dead, you know, in a year or two? (laughs) Making promises that God hasn't made just because you read the Wikipedia article on how butterflies come about. Yeah, that it doesn't work like that. Butterfly is it was in that season of lonely and moving slow for all of those years and trying to get itself moving. But you know, God is so good. A, ca- a, a butterfly, it ain't cream, it ain't taupe. I call it an Ann Taylor. Oh, it ain't none of those bright colors. It's, it, it ain't none of those dull colors. It ain't no gray. It ain't no white. No, a butterfly is the most beautiful colors magenta and yellow and orange and purple. And it's flying. It comes from a place of being still and isolated to once yeah so she's exegeting the life cycle of a butterfly 
comes out and it begins to push its way out. All of a sudden it gets moving. It starts making up time for being in that place of isolation. And that's what God is about. Can't see it, but she's flapping her arms like she's a butterfly to do in your life. He's about to make you have some wings, baby. And you're not going to be dull colors. You're coming. It's got to be true because you got a Hammond B3 playing behind her, man. going to make sense of why you had to go through what you went through. Bright colors. You're going to be so beautiful and so used of God that people going to want to take your picture. They're going to stand in line for you two hours like they do me. I stood on that front row a while ago and I just said, God, thank you. Thank you for using me, God. Thank you for those seasons of isolation. Thank, thank you, God, that I get to pastor the greatest church in America when I've been. To You're not a pastor. God's word forbids women from doing that. Force, but your redemption plan showed me greater. Sometimes you just got to stop looking at what you've lost and why you've been in a season and begin to thank God for that incubator. Thank God. Thank you, God, man. You get to that place. Five years, man. Look what God's done in my life. I was at Bloomingdale's five years ago. Look what God's done. He brought me to a butterfly. God didn't bring you to be the pastor of this church. Yeah, you're disobeying God by doing this. And you're going to be in that place. You're about to take off, baby. I, I just prophesy over you right now that you're about to take off. And when you take off, you're going to come out and you're going to have promotions in your life that you weren't even in line for. You so She's prophesying now. Thus saith the Lord. This is a false prophecy. Out of high school, you had a baby out of wedlock, and look at you over here about to own your own company. You're about to be a millionaire. You're oh, honey, what? Really, you're telling people that they are about to be millionaires, and you're saying that's a prophecy? Oh, this is straight up blasphemy. Like, well, you're gonna have some colors in your skin. People gonna be wanting to take pictures of you. You're gonna be too. You're going to be just, catch me if you can. Catch me if you can, but I'm making up time. What would normally take 12 years is taking five years. Oh, you thought nobody would love you. You're about to have some. This is not Christianity. This is scratching, itching ears and telling people what they want to hear. Body. This is your year of marriage. This is your year of having that baby. This is your year of not being struck. This is your year. No, it's not. Oh, yes. I'm feeling this in my bones, man. If you can grab it, man. If you can just grab what God says about you. You didn't walk in here today just because you wanted to come to church to feel better because you ain't came the whole year. You came in here because it's a divine appointment. God wanted me. No, it's not. God doesn't want them to hear any of this stuff. This is a message from the pit of hell. Knock on your door and tell you, baby, I ain't finished with you yet. I ain't finished. That divorce didn't take you out. That cancer won't take you out. I ain't through with you. Yeah, that cancer might take them out. You never know. You lost all your friends this year, but I ain't through with you yet. Because the Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. There's some weapons that have been forming against you, but they shall not touch you. Because you are a king's kid, man. You got favor, foolish favor on you.
Oh. What would it be like to go through such drastic and amazing changes? You about to. I, I will say this. Um, when we die, our bodies will be in the ground. And then on the last day, Jesus returns in glory and we're going to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to think of uh, the uh, the story of the butterfly as nature's um, type and shadow of death and resurrection for Christians. Uh-huh. To be changed from the slow-moving treadmill existence that seems so pointless into someone who soars with purpose and joy. To conquer... Soars with purpose. The cycle of sin and... And they accompany accusations of Satan so that you experience ever-lengthening periods of time-freed sin. Where you done broke up with all that soul ties that you've done birthed on the inside of you. Soul ties. Not a biblical doctrine. A straight-up man-made doctrine. All of a sudden, you got those cataracts off your eyes and you're seeing spiritual now. And God's giving you some amnesia spiritual amnesia in your life, baby, to become so much more than you once were through the extraordinary inner work of the spirit of God. The Bible says that this miraculous inside out is the experience of every true believer. In fact, the very same word used to describe the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly is used by the Holy spirit to describe God's work in his children. The word is metamorphosis. And God has that in mind for you. See what the enemy does. Is he gets our minds warped. By putting them counterfeits in your life. That have lied to you. Yeah like the counterfeit pastor. Who is lying to them. Right now. And you believed it. And now you're all stuck over here. In a place and allowing a whole season of your life to define your lifetime. Metamorphosis, the root word for morpho, morpho, fo, means, I said in the first service, mofo. <laughs> so I had to make sure I pronounced that morpho. Well, huh? Metamorpho. Yep, I'm about to get to that, baby. He's telling me my nose. Means form or nature. It refers to the real inner essence of a person and thing. If the word was applied to you, it would describe the real you. The true nature of who you are and how that works its way outward in your behavior. Yeah, Jesus makes it clear that it's out of the heart, what's inside of us, that where sin originates. Yeah. See, the real us, born dead in trespasses and sins, we, we are not born, you know, in the same way that Adam and Eve bore the image of God, sinlessly, perfectly reflecting God. In fact, Jesus makes it clear that those who are, who are under the dominion of darkness, that they are children of the devil now. So this claim that, oh, there's a real you inside of you just, just burbling and trying to get out, Again, it's a straight-up lie. Scripture doesn't teach this. I would argue that uh, based on the way she's talking, uh, I would put her into the Pelagian heresy camp, somebody who denies the doctrine of original sin as re- as revealed in Scripture. 
if she's saying your real you is a good, glorious person and you just got to get that person out of you, that's a denial of the doctrine of original sin. Paul gives us four attitudes in the word that are the bedrock of Jesus. And we're going to talk about how we are supposed to look like Jesus. If you never opened your mouth, does your lifestyle look like Jesus? Does your Instagram look like Jesus? We're scrolling, 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 scrolling. But we ain't getting delivered, 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 delivered. Does your job know that you're a Christian even if you don't talk about Jesus? Just because when you walk into, when you walk into a room, everything changes. Miracles take place just with your move. When you walk into a room, everything, everything's a new version when I sing it. I don't ever get one word right in any song ever. I will sing it till I'm telling you, I will sing a song every day with Tasha Cobbs and think I'm her. But you let me try to sing it and I mess her whole song up. I just call it prophetic. And I do it confidently. And if my little worship leader over there wouldn't have said nothing, y'all would have been like, yes, Kim, yeah. Because I do it so confident. When you walk into a room, everything, y'all like, yes. This is the American Idol edition, auditions portion of the sermon, apparently. See, you got to do everything confidently. And everybody, everybody will be following you. That's why you got to live right. Man, I love being me. Because you know what? I got a metamorphosis change in my life, baby. I went from being an Ann Taylor to a Betsy Johnson. I stopped trying to stick in places I was supposed to be. And I got my own lane. Some of you need to get in your own lane. Wow, you got your own lane too. Wow, Jesus is all about giving you your own lane. Who knew? You're over here stuck in your caterpillar position. Causing infection to everybody around you. Stuck in the caterpillar position, causing infection. Didn't know those uh, little caterpillars were so prone to carry and, you know, dispense infection. Because until you get into the position of where God wants you to be, you're stopping everybody else from moving in their calling. Because you're a one-man shop. You stop everybody else from living in their calling this way, okay? do it all. I do it all. If I don't do it, it don't get done. If I don't do it, ain't nobody do it like I will. You better get your tail in your lane. Because you're going to stay in that caterpillar position until you learn how to fly in your lane. Confident. Fly in my lane. Because it's a new season. It's a new day. You better walk in it. Open doors coming my way. A spirit of power. I'm walking in some power, baby. I'm walking in some, you're walking in some power. You are a nation changer. You are, you are. No, I'm not. Nation shifter. No, I'm not a nation shifter either. You better stop. I'll give y'all a whole concert. With my vibrata and all. Four attitudes that you got to have in order 
four attitudes to have in order to go from your caterpillar position to the metamorphosis of that butterfly. All right, so the four attitudes, man. They're, these attitudes are not ever listed in Scripture in this way, but she's discovered the four attitudes necessary to go from caterpillar to butterfly. Please help us out here, Real Talk. Well, your integrity and character keeps up with that greatness that God's about to give you in your life. Number one, come on, tell me, girl, come on. Ah, ah. Yeah, you can feel it all you want. What you're feeling is heresy. Four attitudes that show a worthy walk. Number one, you got to have humility. Well, Christ tells us that uh, the one who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. But I don't think he was talking about becoming a nation shifter, nation changer, and all of this stuff that you're talking about here. You got to be humble. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility. I challenge you to try to think about Jesus without thinking about humility. It's so framed the character of our Savior from being to the end that it become it became a kind of hallmark of who he is. What is humility? Humility says, I don't have to have my own way. You ain't no brat. You're thinking of others. Humility says, things don't necessarily have to please me. Because I can see that it's meeting the needs of others. Humility says... I might not like the music in the church, but I show like that preaching. That music's blessing somebody. Humility says, even when you wrong me, I'm going to apologize to you. I'm not going to walk around allowing infection in my life. See, there's some of you, you got 24 hours to go make some phone calls to some people that God put in your life to help you get to that next place. But because of your, your pride... Now you have no humility left and you're stuck because you're, you, you, you violated and disrespected and talked about somebody that God had put in your life to get you to the next level. Because listen to me. You see, if you just had the right attitude, you would have accomplished step one of going from your caterpillar phase to uh, being a butterfly. Uh-huh. Every level comes with a relationship. It's a person. That opens the door. That's why some of you, I ain't got no friends. You better, you better learn to be a friend. Because in order to get to another level, a lot of times God will bring somebody in your life that opens that door for you. Thanks, baby. You can tell when humility takes hold. It's when you suddenly realize that you've gone a long period of time without thinking about yourself. If you are the center of your attention... Driven by your wants, pushing for your way, claiming your rights. More metamorphosis is needed. You aren't much like Jesus. If you're racist, you ain't saved. You can't be a racist and saved. You, you can't have pride because God will humble you. That's why, that's why you see these people that all of a sudden come on the scene. This is why I think you got to start at CVS. Because if you don't work through something, you won't be grateful when you get there. 
all of a sudden you'll be walking around. If I wouldn't have been working at Bloomingdale's having to learn how to serve and God gave me the platform he's given me today in just five years, I'd have been walking in with 10 armor bearers and asking for Evian water and pink M&Ms. I'd have been bougie and thinking I was Jesus and I let everybody put me on a pedestal. You know what? Ain't nobody putting me on a pedestal because I'm human just like you. I'm pointing you to God, honey. That's why God keeps opening the doors. Yeah, actually, oddly enough, you're pointing us to yourself right now. That That's kind of the weird thing about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My life and blessing everything I touch because he knows I will always point people to Jesus. What are you going to? Yeah, you haven't really pointed anybody to Jesus. What has Jesus done for us? What are the promises of scripture? What are the things that Christ promises us as a result of his cross? You see, you really haven't done that. I don't know what this message is, but I do know it's mostly about you. Point Jesus to. See, we come to church when everything's going right, uh, wrong in our life. But you let everything start going right. And we stay out on Sundays in our boat that we've been blessed with. And we forget about the CVS seasons. What does your heart look like? You've been praying for a husband and he finally gives you a husband and you can't get your mouth under control once you get it. And then you drive him to drink. <laughs> um, what? What? <laughs> So apparently men aren't responsible for their own actions. Yeah, that's weird. That that That's some weird stuff going on right there. Because you ain't thankful and remembering the season. I always tell God, God, let me remember. Mm. The next thing you got to have is gentleness. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Yeah, this text is not teaching us how to go from being caterpillars to butterflies, you know, with four, the four-stepped, you know, four-step attitude adjustment thingy. With all humility and gentleness. The term was used in, new, in the new, uh, new Testament days to describe horses that had been broken. The animal still has its strength and spirit, but its will is under the control of another. You might define the word gentleness as power under control. That's why you'll clap back. Let them talk about you. You're talking about me. You want me to fall, but I'm praying for your, high, your rise. We ain't the same. That's why you see people that get there and then they're poof, gone. Practically, we could say that humility, gentleness is expressed by not insisting on our rights, not easily being offended and not holding grudges. Y'all got some, some people hear me, y'all, all y'all doing is holding grudges. God's blessed you with some people in your life that would take a bullet for you. Those poor people can't even enjoy your presence because you're too busy spitting venom about the people that weren't worthy of being in your life. You talking trash people that weren't even worth being in your life because you're so eaten up with grudges and unforgiveness and holding on to that unforgiveness like you about to win a reward for it. You ain't got no humility. You ain't got no gentleness. And God is over here saying all that that is doing is not realizing that rejection was not necessarily someone wanting out of your life, but it was somebody I needed out of your future, baby. And you're over here allowing somebody that I needed out that couldn't go to the next level with you. You are allowing that person to infect you and you're going to infect everybody else. So that's how the devil gets you. 
That's how the devil gets you. He starts in here. Little foxes that spoil the vine. The next thing you got to have is patience. I don't like to wait. That's why I shop Amazon Prime. Over eBay. Because I don't like to wait. But see what God is doing in your life in that season that you thought he forgot about you. He is weaving some, oh my Lord. We got to have patience because patience is not our timing. It's God's timing. Having faith in God also is having patience. Patience. I therefore the prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience. Yeah. Humility, gentleness, patience. Yeah, these are all the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, being produced by the Holy Spirit in us. So, you know, I I don't have a problem with the fact that she's reading a text that's exhorting us to patience and humility and gentleness and kindness and self-control and things like this. Yeah, this, this is what we are called to in Christ. But this is not some four-step formula for achieving, you know, butterfly metamorphosis. Yeah, she's twisting this text, turning into steps that we've got to do in order to earn from God metamorphosis. This is a salvation by works strategy. And here's the interesting thing. It's not salvation from sin, death, the devil, and eternal life. This is salvation from working at CVS or Bloomingdale's and and then becoming a world changer. Salvation equals uh, going, you know, from you know, the, from the ghetto to you know the the, the penthouse apartment in the sky. Uh huh. Yeah. This this. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. This is kind of like the, the what is it? Uh, is it Jefferson? Yeah, I, f- I forget. George Jefferson's. Yeah, you you know what I'm talking about. You know that, that old sitcom. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, how's the song go? Oh, we're moving on up. Yeah, moving on up you know, you know, to the sky, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Well, we're moving on up. Yeah, that's that's what salvation is in this in this schema. Surely the word means long tempered. He's still working on me. <laughs> okay. Oh, Kurt. He's still working on you too. That's why you gotta give people patience, gentleness, kindness, love. The word means long-tempered or as one person suggested, long-fused. This is all about how you respond to frustrations, inconveniences, delays, aggravating people, and maddening circumstances. Some of y'all cussed all the way to this church because you got behind some, get her, get her, Jesus, get her. Because you got around some Sunday drivers. Cause you, 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 you left late. It ain't, it ain't the Sunday driver's fault that you left late. <laughs> Y'all done cussed like a sailor all the way here. You ain't going to go to the butterfly till you get your tail under control. Yeah. It's, it's butterfly by works. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with aggravating people and maddening circumstances? You don't murmur. <laughs> you don't write people off. You don't turn in your resignation. You wait knowing the damage anger. You, you, you wait knowing the damage anger does 
in marriages and meetings and you decide to take it to the throne instead of the phone. You don't talk about your spouse to nobody. You know, you can't be blessed as long as you're disrespecting your spouse. Just P.S. You can't. Some of y'all need to get, get little Johnny out of the middle of your bed. It should be in his own bed at 12 anyway. Start spending some time, baby, with your spouse. Cultivating love, respect, honor. Y'all get mad at your husband, he goes straight to Facebook. And put a subliminal mem up for them. Communication kills assumption. And until you learn how to communicate in love to each other. The next one is, that was just a, you welcome. The next one is bearing with one another. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. Literally, this means putting up with people. Now, you might have to put them in a balcony. <laughs> I'm still working on that too. <laughs> Literally, this means putting up with people. It's, it's kind of a messy word for people that you don't like. This is as real as it gets. This may come as a shock to you, but even Jesus didn't like everyone he met. In Luke 9, 41, Jesus replied, you even, you unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Things were not as he preferred, but he put up with it. Bearing with one another in love means enduring other people's differences, quirks, irritating habits. It means realizing that the pastor has gapping holes in the fabric of his sanctity. It means coming to terms with the fact that there are some people who are grumpy and critical and unreliable. But Corinthians 13, 7 and 8 says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, let's do a little law and gospel here. This is all law. This is all works. And the fact is, is that, you know, gentleness and self-control and kindness and all the things that she's talking about, we are commanded by God to exemplify in our lives. Let that be produced. Then you look at your life and you go, well, I'm, you know, I, I still have a long way to go on this list. Uh-huh. And so you'll note that this being law, it's going to, well, show you just how far short you've come up. And to the degree that you've fallen short, that's, you know, that's the amount of sin we're dealing with here. And the solution to sin then has to be the gospel. And she's not, the, she's not giving us the gospel. You've fallen short. You need to clean up your act. You want to go to that metamorphosis level. That's the carrot. And here's the stick. The, the stick is the law beating you and basically saying, do harder, do better, do better, do better. You got to, you got to, you got to. And I, I ain't doing it yet. And now, now she's doing this in the context of a sermon in the church. And it doesn't have her opinion behind it, but now it's got the opinion and the authority of God behind it. And you recognize that you've, well, you haven't done the things that God has commanded you to do. And that creates guilt. And it should. There might even be some anxiety. And there should be. 
But that anxiety has to be assuaged by the placarding of Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins and the, the proclamation of the truth that he has bled and died for all of the ways in which we have fallen short. We're not hearing any of that right now. We're just hearing you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And she's giving examples of how you haven't, you haven't, you haven't. And I don't think the cross is going to get any kind of a meaningful mention in the sermon because we're rapidly drawing to the close of it. And love never ends. When you forbear those who get on your nerves, you stop thinking that person bothers me and replace it with that person is sanctifying me. I think I still have some developing in that area. How about some of y'all? Can I get a, hey, come on, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know what I learned, man. I, there's some people, you, you, you're going to go from, from God, kill them with a train to just hurt them. And then over time, you're going to get so free, you can start blessing them. You can love them over there. You can forgive somebody and not let them back in your life. But you got to love, but you got to bear, honey. You got to bear some love in your heart. You got to get that nasty heart healed so God can bless you. Don't let somebody in your past, some of your future is going to look just like your past because you ain't fixing it and you're going to carry your past into your future. There are attitudes that should mark me if I'm living my life in balance with my Jesus. Like living my life in balance with my Jesus. What does that mean? There should be humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with, thanks boo, bearing with one another. Where I am deficient, further transformation takes place. How does that happen? How does that happen? Spending time with your father. Being intentional. I'm about to be a cycle breaker. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, trying to convince them to make decisions of one kind or another here. Um, have you made the decision to apply the four attitudes necessary to go from uh, pupa cocoon to butterfly yet? Apparently that's uh, what you need to do. God, bring back to my remembrance. See, some of you have gone through so much tragedy in your life. That's what you're used to. You don't even know that you want to really be healed. Because at least right now, nobody expects anything out of you. Living in that what if. It's got a bunch of cemeteries full of dreams in that ground. Cemetery full of dreams. Oh, what a sad, tragic thing that would be. I know actual cemeteries full of dead bodies. Humans that were breathing like you and I were, and they're no longer alive. That's the wages of sin. People live their whole life with what if. Because they're so used to failure. Somebody, I'm talking to you right now. You've been murmuring and grumbling and complaining about all the things you don't have. Running down your list of why you have a right to be hurt, a right to be angry, a right to feel sorry for yourself. And some of you have even had the nerve to tell God he 
hasn't done anything for you to even praise him. What you need to do is hush up your mumbling and complaining, grumbling, and start praising God. So the solution is stop mumbling and grumbling and just praise God. So my praise then earns something. That's the currency that I need to exchange with God in order to receive his blessings in the butterfly stage. You didn't drown in your pit. You you, you might not can see a light at the end of your tunnel right now. He said, I will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Do you know what that means? That means wherever you are right now, he knows your name. He knows where you're at. He knows your name. Yeah, so here's the issue. Those who are not penitent believers in Jesus Christ, who have not been been regenerated through the, the working of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace, no, God, their name doesn't make it into the Lamb's Book of Life. And on the last day, Jesus says to them, depart from me, I I never knew you. So this this is not the gospel that you're singing here, Real Talk Kim. This is something completely different. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head and every hair that you don't have on your head. He knows your name. He he knows all those thoughts going through your mind, that rejection, that failure mentality that you keep walking around. He knows your name. And he said, I qualify you. I'm about to put the biggest redemption plan in action for you. I'm about to restore some things that you thought was gone. I'm about to bring a love in your life and you're going to be so thankful I didn't fix it with that other person. He knows your name. Oh, how he walks with me. Oh, how he walks with me. Come on and just reach for it. He's your anchor, baby. Oh, how Oh, how he tells me I'm his own. He claims you, baby. Every ounce of fear you feel, that loneliness that gripped you this Christmas. That heartbreak is keeping you single because you can't let it go. Those daddy issues because your daddy wasn't there. He says, I got you, boo. I got you. Struggling with that infertility, thinking I'm too old now. He's got plans to fill every broken Dark, nasty, hopelessness 
He's about to fill you up. He's about to eradicate that emptiness. And I prophesy over you right now that you ain't seen nothing yet. That he's about to get the wheels churning in your life. He's about to put it on fast forward. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to go from the pit to the palace? He's about to turn it on fast forward in your life. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? ready? If you're in this room and you say, I don't know who Jesus is. Yeah, um, so all the things you're saying that God's going to do, he doesn't promise to do anywhere in his word. You just, like, totally made all that up. And uh, now you're here we are at the very end of the sermon, and, uh, you know, if you don't know who Jesus is, well, you had 45 minutes that you just squandered where you could have told me something meaningful about Christ from the word of God, and you haven't. And so now at the very end, so let's say a, an unbeliever came to church that night and there's, you know, Real Talk Kim preaching a sermon, which she's not supposed to be doing. And uh, she squandered whole 45 minutes, not telling anybody nothing for real about Jesus. And now somebody says, you know, she's saying to them, if you don't know Jesus, well, how are they supposed to know him if you act, actually don't actually preach him? I feel so empty. I've walked away from him. I don't feel deserving of his love. I'm here to tell you that you're God's favorite. And he loves to use people with the worst past to create the best futures. Look at me. That's not the gospel. Yeah, our hope is not that we have a life of that goes from Bloomingdale's to you know jetting around the globe like real talk Kim. No. That we go from being estranged from God, at war with him, dead in trespasses and sins, to being alive in Christ and having a hope of eternal life, all given as a gift by grace through faith, because Christ has gone to the cross and bled and died for each and every one of our sins. Repent, be forgiven. She's not preaching any of that. If you say, I... I want to ask him to come live in my heart right now, right now, right now. Don't you lift your- Why would he want to live there? And as high as you can. Come on, don't you be ashamed. Don't you be ashamed. Don't you be ashamed. Don't you be, come on, lift that hand as high as you can, mama. Come on, lift that hand, sir. Come on, lift it up, lift it up. He's about to change you. Repeat after me. Y'all, this is how good God is. He's about to take that alcohol addiction away from you. He's about to break that depression off of you right now. He is? Wow. Nice. Okay. Where, where does that say that in the word? In Jesus' name. He's about to feel all those areas. Say, Father. Come on, as loud as you can. Everybody in the room, in fact, there's some of you that need Jesus. And I'm about to help you get it. Say, Father. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you, God. You haven't even explained to them what their sins are. 
for going to the cross for me. All right. What does that mean? So you got an unbeliever there. You haven't even remotely explained the cross and why Jesus needed to go to the cross. Thank you, God, for knowing my name. Now, Father, I receive you as my personal Savior. I welcome you into my heart to change me, to live in me, to fill all those voids that I've been trying to fill with sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with gossiping. Father, say, Father, have your way. Lord, take the shame away from me. Don't I, I got to stop. This is just total train wreck. So I think you get the point. Yeah, that was a complete mess. Not properly understanding law and gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. But she wanted to ask, you know, to make it so that people ask Jesus into their hearts at the end of this without even preaching Jesus the entire sermon. She preached a lot about herself while denying that she was preaching about herself, which is weird. Yeah. All right. So uh, what'd you think? <laughs> you know what I think? I think I need a stiff drink. Anyway, um, yeah, would love to know what you think. If you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Until, until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. It's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. 